In a world where mental health problems are used as common tropes in various forms of storytelling, therapist Ryan Engelstad and executive producer Mike Graham try to determine what lines up with real life and what is just exaggerated fantasy. Listen as we delve into the fantastical tales told about mental health in books, movies, and television. This is Pop Psych 101. Welcome to Pop Psych 101. I am Ryan Engelstad, licensed therapist. With me, as always, is executive producer Mike Graham. Hello. I love the executive. Very executive producer Mike Graham. And that's right. Today we are talking about Lars and the Real Girl, a fascinating movie, portrays a lot of different aspects of mental health and the, the stuff that comes with it. But first, Mike, I thought we could talk a little bit about our our background, why we started this podcast and how we met and the story behind that. So if, if the listeners are not interested in that backstory, as interesting as it is, you guys can feel free to fast forward a couple minutes when we get into the good stuff of the movie. And with that, let's get it going. All right. All right. So how did, how did we meet? Yeah. So it was, interestingly enough, you and I are both members of the Anchor community. And I think randomly you had linked up with me on a like recording. I saw a recording notice come in. I said, I don't know who this person is. And then I messaged you thinking because your your podcast is your other podcast is called Game Socket. That's right. That's so right. I said, oh, I bet I can call, I, I bet I can talk to this guy about uh, video games and mental health. And then we learned more, a lot more about each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And actually, I totally forgot about that because we linked up because that there was that guy that was trying to do a 10-person podcast. That's right, yeah. And and nobody showed up. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> we, we like all attempted, but it didn't happen. But yeah, you have your other podcast, The Best Medicine, uh, that Ryan has an awesome podcast where he interviews professionals and non-professionals about mental health. And we did connect over this thing, and he thought he could talk to me about video games and um, mental health because he kind of saw that I have my own mental health issues. I am diagnosed with a major depressive disorder, and I'm also bipolar, unfortunately, but something I deal with. So he wanted to talk to me about that. I did have to kind of let him down ever so lightly that uh, my... My podcast, Game Socket, is not actually about video games. It's a scripted satire, and it's really weird. So we kind of had to flip the switch, and we ended up just talking about like creativeness and dealing with that and mental health, and it was a great conversation. And I, I suppose we just kind of st- struck up a friendship from there, and our interests just sort of really seemed to align. Ryan has an excellent voice. He's incredibly smart. and st- just very, very genuine and wants to help people. It's something that I definitely want to be a part of. So we decided uh, just through messaging and talking and seeing what's going on in the world today, that it'd be a lot of fun if we made a podcast about movies and books and television and talk about, you know, because I was like, I always have questions. Is this stuff real? Like, is it accurate? I don't know, but sometimes I'd like to know. And Ryan notes. So yeah, and and as a therapist, I often watch these movies or read these books, or even in some cases listen to music and consume other types of media. And mental illness gets portrayed in sometimes very exaggerated ways, sometimes very true to form ways. And I'm always fascinated in in observing how that stuff 
uh, sort of plays out in the media, how people respond to it, how people feel about it, the questions people have. I find myself diagnosing or hoping things will play out certain ways. Oh, sure. And then responding otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I bet you. I bet you you can't watch something without just diagnosing. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a blessing and a curse. You can have a really good feeling about what is going on for someone and why that is. And then really unnecessarily want to delve into their background that might have nothing to do with the story. <laughs> but yeah, so so we are starting this podcast because we think we both have interesting information to talk about through the lens of popular media. So and Mike, I, I appreciate your your willingness to share your own experiences through this lens as well. And hopefully we can offer some both entertaining and informative value for people. Absolutely. And just so everyone knows, I, I have, you know, like I said, I had my, I have my issues and I've done a ton of research over the years, as many people with mental health issues will tell you they've done themselves. So, you know, I do have some insight. However, I have a lot of questions that we think a lot of us regular Joes out there would have. So hopefully uh, I asked the right questions that you guys are thinking as well, and we can learn a lot and have a lot of fun, too. Yeah. So with that, let's go ahead and talk about the movie. All right. Let's do it. The doctor will tell us what to do. But she's family practice. We're going to need a shrink. No, she is. She's a psychologist, too. Oh. She says you have to be this far north. think we can't worry about that today we're doing Lars and the Real Girl Lars and the Real Girl is it's a movie starring Ryan Gosling as Lars Lindstrom Emily Mortimer as his sister-in-law Karen Paul Schneider as his brother Gus Kelly Garner as his love interest question mark Margot it opens up and we see Ryan Gosling sort of standing in a garage and just looking anxious <laughs> and acting anxious. Yep. And it, it starts off and it opens up with his sister-in-law coming and asking him, hey, you know, will you come to dinner? And he he doesn't want to. So right out of the gate, you get the idea that something's going on with this guy. He's clearly secluding himself. And he's he's got his something's happening. Oh, yeah. But his sister-in-law, Karen, and Ryan, you can probably agree with this, is just an amazing character and super supportive and just wants to bring him out of what she thinks he's probably in his shell or maybe he's really shy. And she's trying to bring him out. She's doing the best she can. Oh, literally, in a couple minutes into the movie, she literally tackles him to the ground to get him to come to dinner. Yeah. And it's... And it's a really funny scene because, yeah, it's just a couple minutes in. He's avoiding her, trying, giving her all sorts of excuses as to why he can't come to dinner. And she tackles him. And without missing a beat, he doesn't say, ouch, or get off me. He just keeps giving excuses as his face is in the gravel. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's also a really funny movie. So I do recommend it for everyone. So going forward, you come to find out... It, he shares a property with his brother who lives in the house with his wife, who's Karen. His brother's name is Gus, and he lives in the garage. They both own the property half and half. You get the idea that the dad has passed away or through a number of years. They don't specifically say how many years ago. Uh, and the mom is not around either. 
That's right. And they're living in the house and Ryan is living in the garage and they're just kind of going about their lives very, very separately. And I kind of get the idea that whatever's happening to Lars is very ramping up at the moment the movie starts. Like maybe it was kind of happening, but it's really kicking in the gear when the movie starts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's got what at least initially appears like some really extreme social anxiety or, or social discomfort. You know, he is not very keen on interacting with anybody more than a casual hello or there was an initial work scene where somebody tries to talk to him. And he's just like, OK, and he keeps it moving. Right, right. And what I noticed about that was especially women. Yes, uh, he, absolutely. He seemed to be able to talk to men much easier than he was able to talk to women. Uh, he definitely avoided women, including his sister-in-law, but especially the girl who has a crush on him, Margot. So Lars has a, he has a job. He goes to his job every day. He has sort of a, a I guess you would call a pervert, like cubicle partner. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And so we, we progressed through the movie with Lars obviously having some sort of issues happening and and avoiding everyone. And then he's introduced by his cubicle partner uh, to a website that sells real life uh, dolls that are basically their sex dolls. Yep. And I mean, that's obviously what the purpose is. And, you know, he plays it off like get that, you know, I don't want any of your stuff. Leave me alone. After that scene, it clips over six weeks later, and you come to find out that Lars has ordered one of these dolls. Uh, so the big thing is, is that Lars is completely believing and masquerading around town with a full-sized person doll named Bianca. Usually in a wheelchair. Yeah, <laughs> yeah who's in a wheelchair. At, so he's just parading this around town and totally, totally you know, acting like they're having conversations and everything. So, so a lot to talk about here, but that's the basic gist of the movie. Yeah. It's really interesting. And watching it for the first time, naturally as a therapist, you're thinking, okay, you know, what's going on with him? I don't know the story for the movie. Is he just sort of socially awkward? Is this just, just a weird guy or is there something more intense going on here? And obviously as soon as he brings the uh, doll Bianca in to meet his brother and sister-in-law. Mm -hmm. That's when it becomes very clear that there is something very wrong. Yeah. Very different going on here. That's a better way to put it. Actually. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and obviously his brother and sister-in-law's immediate reaction, his brother even says, as they cut into the kitchen, he's crazy. And so he's crazy, right? He's crazy. Karen. I have that in my notes too. And as a person who has mental illness, that's the last thing you ever want anyone to say to you. Oh, yeah. Or about you. Yeah. Although it's what you think about yourself. Yeah. That's it, right. Yeah. It is what you think about yourself and you don't ever want that like confirmed. It's just a it's a big word. So my question here, Ryan, the therapist, what uh, what's going on? If you if is there a name for what's happening with Lars in this movie? There is. And now obviously not having evaluated him myself, a little bit of this is conjecture, but he sort of fits the criteria of what we would call schizoid personality disorder. That's a lot of big words. Right. Essentially, what that means is that he's, he's a person, it's not the same as like having depression, which we think of as being over the course of, you know, six months, a year, mm -hmm. um, where you're exhibiting specific symptoms. But it's this is your personality, your personality traits. So this lines up with, with like the list of actual personality disorders. It does. Now, now, 
in the movie itself, at one point, you see Gus, uh, Lars's brother, researching like delusions and delusional disorder. Right. So what what Lars is obviously presenting with with this doll as he's introducing Bianca to everyone as a real person that specifically is a delusion and the psychiatrist Dr. Dagmar played by Patricia Clarkson identifies it as such like this is a delusion that she says he's not psychotic he's not schizophrenic what the hell is he doing with a delusion for Christ's sake that's what we have to find out and you know and I did have I did have a question about that particular scene and I have that written down here sure yeah that struck me as weird I did not you know, and that's because, you know, I'm uneducated. And when I hear that, it that felt to me like script writing. That felt like mm. they're just throwing out a a plot device, sure. a delusion, you know? So it just seemed, uh, that part seemed unreal to me, like, because maybe the writers didn't want to name it. That's what I thought. There, there certainly may be some truth to that, but... Realistically, and that's probably why they didn't have the psychiatrist say schizoid personality disorder, because that would just sort of turn everybody off. Like, what the heck is that? Right. But he really he really fits it. I mean, I can list a couple of the symptoms for you. Doesn't desire or enjoy close relationships, including family, aloof and detached, avoids social activities, little or no interest in sexual experiences, lacks close relationships, indifferent to praise or criticism little observable change in mood. So, you know, you go through the symptoms of schizoid personality disorder. This is Lars. But the other important piece in that why he's not psychotic or schizophrenic, at least as far as the doctor's concerned, and these are the questions that she asks uh, Lars's brother and sister-in-law, is he functional? Absolutely. He works. He takes care of himself. Right. Yeah. He's bathing. I mean, he's, yeah. other than the way he operates with people, he's very, very normal. Yep. No, he's not violent. Even with the delusion, it is not affecting his his work, his interactions with people. Usually when we look at symptoms, we, we think of them through the lens of, is this problematic? So it's only problematic when Gus, for example, resists interacting with Bianca and acknowledging Bianca as a real person. Right. And I have a problem with that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, so basically how... The family dynamic is presented is the sister-in-law cares greatly for Lars and Karen and is trying everything and will try anything to help him, which is amazing. A lot of people don't have that kind of support, so he's lucky. However, his, his brother, who loves him, obviously, just does not want to come to terms with the fact that his own brother is, quote-unquote, crazy uh there was another scene so he did say that he's crazy right he's crazy and there was another scene when they first take him to and i i thought her name was dr berman i wrote down dagmar one of the two (laughs) um so she's explaining the delusion thing like we were just talking about and he says can you fix him? can you fix him yep and i mean that just uh, that that is that's an offensive thing and and that's actually unfortunately a very common question that family members ask or or feel when they're when they're trying to come to terms with what their loved one is coping with and i actually really liked i really liked uh, the doctor's response right as they were struggling to accept that she said what we call mental illness isn't always just an illness it can be a, a communication it can be a way to work something out 
And then she she suggests that that Gus and Karen go along with it. She does. And that was that was something I wanted to ask you about. So she she tells him he has a delusion. The brother says, can you fix him? And then she she gives him the right information and says basically in so many words, hey, you know, don't act like that. That 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 is not what's happening here, especially with a, a personality disorder, I would imagine. I mean, that's just who he is, really, until the delusion starts. That's right. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were talking about this sort of transition for the family of acknowledging that this uh, person, Bianca, is real. The doctor even says she is real. She's sitting out there um, and that she's here for a reason. I thought that was really interesting from my perspective of trying to understand that. So so. She says, you know, just go along with it. And I'm sitting here thinking, is that really what a therapist or a doctor or any professional would say? Would they ask the family to go along with it? And th- these are just questions I don't know. Is that real, true to life? Or is that just for fun for the movie? It's a good question. For me, it was it was sort of a oh no point because for me as a therapist, obviously, you know, there's there's going to be differentiations between how therapists handle this sort of an issue. For me, uh, personally, the way I would handle that with a family would be to observe how this is causing a problem for Lars. And the thing that I noticed, and I think the audience would notice immediately, is that he did not want to come over and see Gus and Karen for lunch, for dinner. He didn't have any comfort in interacting with them. And as soon as he was able to introduce Bianca to them, he was able to talk. He was able to come over. He was excited. He was showing emotion. Even the very first scene with that, uh, when he's introducing her right before that, he's he's leaning up against the door with his hand on the door, and he just has a pose that's like confidence. Yeah. Or, or at least pretend confidence, what he thinks it should be. So as a therapist, it's not necessarily that I would say that you have to go along with it, but that it's it's paying attention to what damage is it causing if it's not hurting him can you coexist with it because right now the most important thing for Lars is that this is helping him for whatever reason and that's that's why i liked what the the psychiatrist said that bianca's here for a reason and that reason i think became more apparent over the the course of the movie. Right. It, it becomes pretty clear what's happened and what triggered this uh, episode or whatever it is you want to call that. Yeah. So she tells him to go along with it and and they do. But the town also does. Yeah. <laughs> so it becomes at the, this, at the behest of the family. Yeah. Right. Right. And and so introducing earlier in the movie, she becomes a little bit of a bigger role is um, a lady from church. With him, they call her Mrs. Gruner. Mrs. Gruner. There's a scene in the church where they're kind of going over, hey, here's what we need you guys to do because Lars is religious and goes to church. It's probably the one thing he does actively in the community. People are fighting it. And then Mrs. Gruner steps up and goes around in a circle and says, This is all for heaven's sake. What's the big deal? Sally, your cousin puts dresses on his cats. Hazel, your your nephew gave all his money to a UFO club. And Arnie, everybody knows your first wife was a klepto. She wasn't. Then why is she buried in a pair of my earrings? Yeah. Now that's enough. These things happen. Lars is a good boy. You can depend on me. 
Yeah, it was really from like a case study perspective, really interesting for me to watch that because in some ways, I should say in some ways that the community's response is pretty ideal in uh, in providing him the sort of environment for him to work through his stuff. I I it's it's also unfortunately for me, I think kind of idealized. You know, it remind me of some of these movies that have this like, oh, and the community comes together and and it's great. And it's like, yeah, it would be awesome if that was a, a th- yeah, that's but, how real life worked. I mean, yeah, if that's how real life worked. And I, I wish that was the case. But in, in unfortunately, in my somewhat cynical mind, you know, that community meeting goes very differently in real life. Especially if there's not a Mrs. Gruner sitting there uh, fighting for it. Sure, and sure. And even so, yeah. a lot of times in real life, if there is a Mrs. Gruner, well, that person gets put on the list, you know, of, sure. well... Also outcast or, you know. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is just how I feel watching it, having gone through, you know, and dealt with this kind of stuff myself through a number of years and seeing people's reactions. You know, I have a friend who used to tell me that all my issues were in my head and things like that and, you know, really downplayed a lot of things. And, and that stuff just... And I'm glad we are in the age that we're in now because that that stuff isn't true and people are definitely starting to realize that now. So I I hope every community can be like this, uh, but certainly it isn't always. Yeah, and and the community definitely supports him. I mean, it gets to the point actually that they support him so much that they start to almost separate Bianca from him. They bring Bianca to PTA meetings and to the hospital to read, quote-unquote, read to the kids. They almost not only acknowledge Bianca as a real person, but actually acknowledge her as a real person separately from Lars. Um, so in that sense, they really, they join the delusion in a lot of ways. And they have, they have fun with it. And, yeah. and in the movie, it brings even some of the community closer together, but that sort of brings me to uh, probably my biggest question in this whole thing. So we're about to come up onto why Lars is having this major thing happen uh, but what I noticed about Bianca, the doll, and Lars is, from an outsider's perspective, it seemed like Lars is Bianca. To me, that's what I thought. I thought Lars couldn't do all of these things, and but he could if he had his shield there. His Bianca has a lot of the same issues Lars has, you find out in some of the you know therapy appointments they go to. But also that speaking to the community, separating them, and I just kind of thought about this just now, that might have helped the Lars character because if it was him, if he was kind of doing that sort of thing, then they were separating them and and letting him detach from Bianca. So so just for a second, I'm going to go deep psychodynamic. Bring it on. For for the listeners who might not be interested, I apologize, but... So over the course of the initial part of the movie, <laughs> Lars has this little blanket that was left to him by his mom. And, you know, he gives it to Karen so she's not cold and he sort of uses it as a scarf from time to time. And then when Bianca shows up, he wraps it around her. But as as he's becoming more and more stable, the blanket is seen less and less. That blanket is representative of, you know, what a lot of children have growing up, toddler into young young childhood, which is that these sort of transitional objects, this thing that you hold on to for comfort, and that at some point you feel comfortable enough without it that you don't necessarily need it anymore. 
So yes, Lars is is Bianca in some ways, but Bianca is also his new transitional object. I got you. He brings Bianca into his life to reoffer this this feeling of comfort that he can be comfortable in expressing himself and having social interactions because Bianca is there. And then over the course of the movie, with you know, spoiler alert, Lars allows, decides essentially that Bianca gets sick and dies. And so the doctor was correct. It, this thing ran yeah. its course. And when he didn't need his protection anymore, it seems like he let it go. And obviously he's needing that shield because he wants desperately what you know most humans do want. And that is the comfort of other people. And he's not able to do that. So he's created something to help him do that. It, it, my question being, how real do you think it it would be in real life? How real do you think it is to Lars? How real is Bianca? Right. I mean, it's hard to say. There's a lot of variation in these sort of symptoms. It's entirely possible that if it really... So if if Gus really pushed him, if he really confronted him, would there be some acknowledgement on Lars's part that he knows she's not real? That's hard to say. Um, I think the most important thing for for our purposes is that the brain can kind of convince us of anything for people who deal with let's say paranoia and as part of anxiety or social anxiety that's real mm-hmm. i i that's a that's an issue i deal with yeah so that that's a real thing whether we have any real evidence for thinking something bad is going to happen we are convinced of it and for lars he was convinced enough that this was a real person and he needed that to be able to cope and to to sort of move through this transitional phase for himself. So to that extent, it was as real as it needed to be. Okay, so taking that from the movie and putting it in real life, that that sounds to me would be almost verbatim what you would say about somebody with this exact same thing happening in real life. Yeah. We can't say how real it is, but they're treating it as real, so we need to look at that. That's why I, I talk with families a lot about this, that validation for someone who's experiencing any mental health symptom, whether it be, you know, social anxiety, delusions to a certain extent, obviously we we can sort of break that down, depression, anxiety, trauma, being able to accept, again, to a certain extent, that person's reality, that person's experience is so powerful in, in letting them, as Lars did, be himself, become himself. Over the course of his initial days and time with Bianca, you see him becoming confident, being able to tell people the things that he's good at, being able to tell stories about himself. Smiling. Yeah, smiling. Like and making eye is, contact. Yeah, that's exactly. That's the real Lars. And and overall, the, the, the movie is incredibly heartwarming. And I absolutely love this movie. We'll get to the point. Basically, you come to find out that... Lars's mother uh, passed away. In childbirth, yeah. In childbirth. When she was a baby, her mom died in the middle of things, so she was being born. Like yours. You have a lot in common. <clears throat> you know, we've learned a lot since then. Things are, things are better. Yeah, but it could still happen, right? It's highly unlikely. It's... It's... Rare. Yeah, that's still good. Lars, just take take a breath. And so 
we start the movie at a point when they found out that his sister-in-law, his brother's wife, is pregnant. I think that he loves her. And whatever his love is and his fear of of whatever blame he's put on himself or or whatever it is, he's now it's just exploded all of uh, all of these things in his head. And that's kind of why this chain of events starts. Yeah, Lars actually has a, a pretty intense breakdown in the doctor's office when he acknowledges the fear of death and childbirth being a real thing. And the doctor tries to offer him some reassurance that a lot of a lot of things have changed. Um, it's it's much more rare, but he actually has what looks like in the in the movie a panic attack, and I think you're right that it comes from this fear that 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 could happen to Karen, someone that he does care a lot about, and she kind of walks him through the panic attack and helps him calm down. But it becomes very evident that this is in some ways triggered by that transition for the family, and that that's bringing up a lot of fear and insecurity for Lars. Couple of questions here. So, what would you say? If somebody was experiencing or portraying these sort of symptoms in real life, uh, what would be the steps someone would need to take in order to, I, I don't know, get help or however you want to put that? The way it happens in the movie is actually probably much more typical than the individual themselves seeking out help, because as with most personality disorders, the person rarely feels that there's anything wrong with them. And if and even Lars is asked in the in the initial part of the movie by Karen and by his brother, you know, are you okay? Is everything okay? And he says, "I'm fine. I'm fine. Um, I'm fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's basically nothing wrong." And then his brother says, "Oh, see, he's fine because he said he's fine. Yeah, yeah. Because his brother well, he just does not fine. want to acknowledge." So, in terms of someone getting help, it's unfortunately it's much more likely that it's going to be on the family or on the loved ones of someone experiencing this type of uh, symptomology. To help that person get help and get support, so to that end, they they did a really good job. You know, they went to the the family doctor. The family doctor slash psychiatrist was really uh, validating and empathetic. But if you see a loved one going through this sort of struggle, whether it's delusional type behavior, you know, social anxiety, social avoidance, all you can do sometimes is find a, what we call a side door into getting them in front of a doctor, into getting them in front of a professional. They sort of convinced Lars to bring Bianca to the family doctor because she's, she's got a health issue. Right. She's from Brazil or whatever Lars says about her. And Lars is like, <laughs> okay, he, he buys into that. And then he's in front of a doctor. And then once a week, Bianca is getting quote unquote treatment from this doctor. But actually the doctor is sitting with Lars for that period of time and helping him process some of this stuff. So that that side door, that entrance where the the person who might be struggling is comfortable enough to accept support that doesn't have to implicitly about be about what's quote unquote wrong with them is really the best mm-hmm. way to to address something like this. Right, right. One of the things that I was really fascinated by was this sort of transition that Lars experiences and his family really as well. There's one scene, I think right around in act two, where Lars goes in and talks to his brother Gus and confronts him and asks him, how do you know you're a man? And it feels kind of like it's kind of out of nowhere. But for me, it really wasn't out of nowhere. It was really representative of Lars progressively wanting to understand both other people and himself. So I thought it was really interesting for him to want to connect with Gus and want to understand maybe Gus and his own 
process as he was sort of developing this relationship with Bianca. Yeah, and we needed to understand Gus because although Gus is a likable character up up to this point, he's kind of fought the whole thing and definitely been embarrassed by it even. And it you know, it, it's a movie he has to have his archetype, but it's it's is true to life in the fact that you know, a lot of people that have family or or friends like this they do learn a lot and, you know, they do come around, hopefully, and most do, I would say, that, that I've had my experiences with. But but it's it was really important scene because it it showed somebody learning to empathize and and also relate and when they didn't even know they could. Yep. Yeah. So the other fascinating part of this transition is that Lars shares with people that he proposed to Bianca. Not only did he propose, but he shares with them that she said no. So I think, as I'm thinking about this, for for people who may not be uh, exposed to delusions and things like that, the the possibility of Lars speaking for Bianca in this way must seem just completely ridiculous. But for me, like how? Yeah. <laughs> how did she say no, Lars? Like, what do you mean? She's, right. Yeah, yeah. She can do whatever you want, and he's like, "What are you talking about? She's her own person." And for me, that was just this huge, almost like uh, eureka moment as a therapist of like, "Oh my God, he's he's separating from her. He doesn't need her anymore." That was the first sign that it was like, "Okay, something really positive is going on here." From the standpoint of him not needing this relationship, not needing this this shield that we sort of identified Bianca as. And I think, and hopefully, it, well, I don't know if you'll agree, you know, it's a result of the community, I think. I don't know what you think about the whole community part in the second act. For me, it, it really is on the edge of sort of interfering or overplaying how they support him and Bianca being a real person. They're literally completely taking into it and take Bianca around town and everything. Yeah, they actually take her away from him that she had an appointment that he wasn't aware of and tell him that he just should have checked checked Bianca's calendar, which is another funny moment that Karen tells him she's her own person. And I think a townswoman lectures him like he can't be so controlling of her and it's it's a little bizarre and it, it to me it a little li- bizarre yeah. and definitely rides the line and this is i think i love this movie because i can relate to lars on some levels and a lot of it really hits home is true to me but when i see this happening i'm like okay this is the for fun like montage to like make people laugh and but also like create the division that they need to get to the the healing and and the end of the movie. Right, cuz it does do that. It sets up the next one of the next scenes which is that Lars goes out on this pseudo date with Margot, they go bowling and and that's another huge sign that he's not able just not able to socialize but also to have physical contact, to have friendly interactions with people. So in a sense, yes, like this community literally taking Bianca away from Lars, taking his transitional object, his safety net away from him, does usher in this very easy transition. Oh, now all of a sudden he's able to go out on this date. Like it feels a little bit forced. It feels a little bit because I picture myself, I picture myself asking like, does the therapist 
the 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 doctor that Lars is working with, does she know that the community's doing this? Does she support this sort of borderline aggressive interaction um with the the delusion? So that that's one of the if there's any problems, you know, with the movie, that's where I started to get concerned. Obviously it worked out well, which is great. <laughs> yes, exactly. But this actually it that kind of brings up a question that I didn't even think about, but for someone who who has no mental health issues that maybe does have a family member or a friend that deals with things the this movie happens in the course of what a month or two months maybe it's not very long and from the perspective of someone without these issues they see all these things happening they see the community kicking in uh, like you said, kind of aggressively and doing something that you're not quite sure that they should be doing. But they also see, and I think this is something that can take away from it, is that it's very easy to heal someone in a short amount of time. Yeah, it probably spans because I think it goes from Karen being like knowing that they're pregnant to being noticeably pregnant. So what's that, you know, three, four, five, six oh, months sure, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, but but even so, yeah, that's that's sort of where the trouble comes in for me is that Lars is a person who is having a lot of very serious issues. And this process of him going from a very serious delusion towards all of a sudden essentially being okay with this delusion dying, literally, is very clean. There's not there's not even one instance of let's say a community member going like Lars, what the hell are you doing? That's a doll. Not even one, not even one instance of that. Now, Gus does uh, sort of very early on, and Lars doesn't respond or, or, or have any reaction to that. Are you not going to go to work today, Gus? I don't feel good. Oh, no. Well, Bianca could help you. You know, she has nurses training. No, she doesn't. She doesn't have nurses training, Lars, because she's not a person... She's a big plastic thing, but the the implication that there wouldn't that there there would be you know a hundred percent healthy interaction with Lars and his delusion is great for a movie, but for reality, unfortunately, I, I don't I don't know if that's likely to be the case. And I agree with that. And you know, earlier on, you said that we're dealing with what you see as, and and of course, it's conjecture, and you don't want to you know, necessarily like diagnose a fictional character, but you said, you know, this has a lot of markers of schizoid personality disorders. That that's what you said, right? That's right. So you you said that if this is indeed schizoid personality disorder, well then this isn't necessarily like depression where it has a time limit or anything. This is just a personality. Yes. This is who this person is. So I'm just uh, I'm just saying that that is is something that's kind of like, okay, somebody with this health issue, and then just completely becoming like everyone else in society that that is kind of hard to chew for me. Yeah. Now, and that's that's not to say that it can't happen. There are certainly people, um, whether it's people that I've worked with or people in the known world that have personality disorders that are open about their personality disorders that can be upstanding members of the community and, and interact, quote unquote, normally as anybody else would. But the the idea that that would all happen in the span of three to six months is is a little bit of a stretch. And the idea that it would happen this cleanly, you know, without 
some more apparent crisis points is, again, an unrealistic. And that's okay. It's a movie. It's supposed to be a a feel-good story. And it is. Right. And they have to get from point A to point C. But in terms of the takeaways, as we what we're doing here is looking at the mental health portrayal and implications, is that that's where it feels a little bit less true to reality. And I guess, you know, you can cut them some slack, too, because it is a movie. They have three acts to tell their story. And they can't drag you through, unless they're doing a biopic or something, they're not going to drag you through, you know, 15 years of somebody's life. So I think that they're doing the best they can to portray it as as accurately as possible, but also moving it along so they can get and make their point. Yeah. So from that end, the way they portray Lars at the end is as someone who sort of has hope to be able to interact with people, whether that be Margot, the person he might be interested in or his brother and sister-in-law, in a much healthier way. Now, that does not mean that he's going to all of a sudden be very comfortable with physical contact. It doesn't mean he's all of a sudden going to be comfortable with sexual uh, contact or interaction. It doesn't mean he's going to be super emotional. Like A lot of these symptoms, let's say if he does have schizoid personality disorder, those symptoms, those personality markers are not just going to go away. But maybe this transition that he was able to achieve through Bianca does allow him a certain amount of comfort and quote unquote normalcy that he can sort of interact with people in a way that is not only more comfortable for them, because as we said before, he was fine this whole time from from his perspective, but that he can have a little bit more of a comfortable social life and healthier interaction with the community around him. Okay, so what I wanted to do, and I'm going to throw another one at you here, Ryan. (laughs) Last week, I threw out the the rating system. So, well, first off, I do want to ask you, because this was my biggest question for you today, was what did you think? Because you hadn't seen it before. And I I was looking at things and I said, Lars and the Real Girl, we got to do that. It is one of my favorite movies. I just love it. It's funny. It's heartwarming. Ryan Gosling is amazing. I got a little bit of an obsession with him after I saw this movie. So I was just wondering what you thought of the movie as a movie. Uh, Yeah, so I loved it. Um, I was sad that I hadn't seen it before, especially, you know, in my like educational phase of, uh, you know, learning about mental health and becoming a therapist, because I do think there are so many important things that are well portrayed. The therapists, unfortunately, are, are very frequently portrayed in a negative light in popular media. This is very true. And the, and it's not like that. So to have one portrayed so so positively and so lovingly, and Gus thanks her at the end, that was really nice to see that, oh, someone can watch this movie and think, oh, you know, that is something that might be useful for me or my family, as opposed to what unfortunately is more frequently the opposite. <laughs> right. It's more frequently like everything about this is negative, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, so here's what I'm going to throw at you this week. So uh, we, as we established in our first episode about Fight Club, Ryan is going to rate every episode on a scale of a one to five. What are we going to do this week? We did couches last week. We did. So uh, we could say one to five real girls or one to Doll- five dolls. Real girls. <laughs> one to five real girls. So he's going to rate on a scale of one to five real girls whether or not uh, this movie portrayed this sort of mental issue accurately five being it's very 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 accurate you can actually learn something from this one being total fantasy only watch it for enjoyment it these symptoms are not real 
Uh, but I'm going to add something in as, because I'm the regular guy here, just the just the loon on the side. I'm going to add in. I'm going to rate it on one to five stars of what I thought of the movie. Great. Okay. I love this movie. This is one of my favorite movies. Like I said, I've seen it 10 times. I recommend anybody watching it, even if it's not because you want to learn about mental health. Uh, it's just a really good, funny, heartwarming movie. This is a five for me uh, because it just hits all the notes of really well made. The music's great. Acting is fantastic uh, all around. I love Paul Schneider. I love Ryan Gosling. I love Emily Mortimer. They're all amazing actors. So this is a five out of five star movie for me. Okay, so that is my rating of the movie. And uh, now to the part that I love the most so far, uh, even though we're only two episodes in, but I'm super excited to hear, Ryan, what is your rating? And uh, a one to five, and you said real dolls, real girls, one to five real girls. What's going on there? I think you're going to have to hold me accountable to how specific I'm allowed to be here. Okay. Because so I've are we, thought about Are we this. doing decimals? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not decimals, decibels, ugh, decimals, but I think, okay, one is like you rated Fight Club a two. And I think that's, I thought that was accurate because it did talk, li talk literally talk about what dissociation is and, and how it can be seen, although incredibly exaggerated. So there was a kernel of truth there, but one is no truth. Two is a kernel of truth. Three is just right in the middle. Like, okay, yeah, this is a fun story. And there's some things you can take away. Four is just getting right up there to where, yeah, this is this is definitely a good portrayal. However, there's some things that are probably negative enough about it, or maybe not negative, but not accurate enough about it that you... You can't rate it five and five is just like, OK, I want to use this like if I was going to teach a class. OK, so all that being said, I have to rate this a four and it doesn't have anything to do with the portrayal of Lars. I think Ryan Gosling did an awesome job. Oh, it's amazing. Portraying. Yeah, yeah. Really incredible acting. I don't even remember. he, he Was he nominated for some awards? I hope so. But in any case, the reason I'm not giving it a five, and, and to be clear, I actually would use this in, in teaching and examples just for the Ryan Gosling portrayal because I thought it was that good. But aside from that, the reason I'm not giving it a five is because the community, this town is so perfect. And it makes me so sad to say that the real world is not like this. Right. But the community is so perfect in engaging him and Bianca and supporting him through the transition that he needs to go through. And I'm sad to say it, but that is just not the way the world works. There are going to be people who, who love and care for you and you need to hold on to them for dear life and use them as your, your, your bedrock in getting that support that you need. But it also needs to be said that there are going to be people who do not let you ha live in the reality you want to live in. There are going to be people that, don't let you have your delusions about yourself or the people around you. So so God bless this town, as fictional as it is, that they are so incredible in supporting Lars through his process. But because of the irreality uh, of it. Is that a word? <laughs> I got it. I got it. I'm going to use it. I'm going to use right, it as a we're word. Gonna, we're gonna, if it's not, I'm emailing Webster. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to dock them a point for that because having worked with people in, in the, the therapeutic context, I know how much a struggle it is for them to 
experience their symptoms in the real world. And one of the scenes that comes most to mind is he goes to the work party and they had put a memo out that, you know, Lars is bringing his girlfriend, Bianca. Obviously, she is a doll, but we must treat her as a person. So I and I have to say, I believe I, I believe that that memo might go out for the record. I believe that there are people who are nice enough that would send that message and that would try to engender yeah, support yeah. for a person if going you through have that. Ni- if you have a good HR department. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But the, uh, and, and they crept a little bit towards um, like either people having creepy interactions with Lars and Bianca in the work party, his, his two male coworkers in particular, but the idea that someone wouldn't push her over or touch her or something that, that wouldn't give uh, Lars either a panic attack or some kind of extreme discomfort, the idea that that wouldn't happen, some lack of support is is bound to happen. And I think if if it would have happened anywhere, that would have been an example where it might have happened. But nonetheless, like this is an incredible movie. I would encourage people to see it just for that portrayal that Ryan Gosling was able to do as Lars. Awesome. So guys, we have a, a four out of five real girl rating from Ryan, which means... You can watch this. You can learn things from this. Uh, But keep in mind about the things he said about the community, and you have to be prepared for real life and and, and know you're going to have to face things that that aren't always positive. And mine was a 5 out of 5 stars because I love this movie so much, and and as we go, you guys will probably come to learn that I am an all-or-nothing person. So there'll probably be tons of five stars. So, and we we actually talked, and we're gonna we're gonna change the star system ratings at uh, what they are every week. Uh, Ryan will always pick something that has to do with the movie, and I'm going to just kind of fluctuate what my stars my stars are. So, I think that'll be a bit of fun for sure. We'll get it down. <laughs> okay, so a lot of important takeaways from Lars and the Real Girl for anyone struggling with mental illness issues for them or their families. For family members of people struggling with issues like Lars, it's important to know that they are unlikely to seek out help themselves, as they often don't see anything wrong with how they're interacting with the world. That doesn't mean that they can't get help or work on how they cope with what they might be struggling with. So a gentle, empathetic approach like the one Lars's brother and sister-in-law used to help him and Bianca can be very effective. Secondly, if you are experiencing anything within the realm of delusional disorder or schizoid personality disorder, help is available. Sometimes you might be surprised by the amount of support your work or community is willing to offer you. Even though I'm dubious that communities are as supportive as they are in the movie, this does not mean that you can't exhaust the resources in your community to get help. Your church, primary care doctor, school, or workplace may all have different forms of support they can offer you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. Thank you to my executive producer, Mike Graham. If you like the show, please check out our social media pages. We are on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all at PopPsych101, soon to be on YouTube. And also, we will have our own website set up as well. See the show notes for links to those pages. We are now on all major podcast distribution channels. So please subscribe, rate, and review our show. We would greatly appreciate it. For Mike Graham, I'm Ryan Engelstad. Thanks for listening to Pop Psych 101.